What's up, composers? Tyson Kazare here with the Video Game Composer Podcast, sharing tips, strategies, and stories to help you on your way to becoming a full-time video game music composer. All right, today we are jumping right into it with the Composing Music for Games study series from the book Composing Music for Games by Chance Thomas. Uh, pick it up if you haven't picked it up. It's a great book, and that's what we're studying today. We're diving right into Chapter Zero which if you're curious why it's called Chapter Zero, pick up the book and, and read it. It's a fun little idea. And the purpose of the message I want to share today and what I personally got out of this section of the book is that you already know the music scoring language. You already have what it takes. It's already inside of you. So let's jump right in. All right, let's start off with a story. When I was a music student in grad school, I went to a clinic at a jazz festival that was really, really pivotal for how I thought about music and really powerful for me. The clinic was by a jazz vibraphone player named Stefan Harris, who was an incredible player. And in the room, in the audience, was a very mixed group of people. You had elementary school age kids that were just learning their instrument all the way through college students who were really advanced at their instruments. You had music professors and professionals in the audience, as well as parents and chaperones that didn't know anything about music. And Stefan Harris stood up and he played all these really dense chords, thick jazz harmony kind of chords. Flat nine, sharp nine, flat 13, sharp 11, nine 13, just like all these different extended harmony chords. And he wrote them out on the board. He wrote the qualities out on the board. So he wrote down flat nine, sharp nine, et cetera, et cetera. And then he played them and he, he had the audience raise their hand um, and identify the correct chord that he was playing. So he'd play a chord and he'd want the audience to identify, oh yeah, that's a sharp nine chord. Or, oh yeah, that's a 13 chord. And basically only like at most 2% of the audience could identify the correct chord which was not a surprise because, you know, a lot of the audience were kids who were new or even it was tough for even a lot of the college students to identify the correct chord every time. And so it was just some of like these top professionals that were consistently getting the right chord. And so it wasn't that surprising that as an audience, only 2% of us at best could get the right answer. And then Stefan stood up on stage, came from up from the piano and stood up and he said, all right, you guys, we're only about 2% of you are getting this right. But by the end of the clinic, over 90% of this audience will be identifying the correct chord every single time. And I was like, I don't believe this. There's, how is that even possible? This is like advanced, advanced ear training, and he's going to do it in like 40 minutes. And he did it. It was wild. Speaking of clinics, Chance Thomas has a pretty cool clinic that he would give to music students when he's asked to speak at universities. He'll be up on stage and he will show an image of a game. Probably not like a real game. It's nothing that anyone's ever heard of, but it's just like a screenshot of a game. And he says, describe the music for this scene. And so then students start describing instruments that they might hear or tempos or articulations. Oh yeah, it would be staccato or it would be legato. And mixing techniques 
or different effects that would be in the music. And so they just throw, start throwing out all these descriptors. And Chance would write out these descriptors on a whiteboard for everyone to see. And then he would say, okay, so you're saying the music would sound something like this. And then he would hit play on a previously recorded track. And basically the music would sound like what they just described. And people would be like, whoa, how did he do that? That's incredible. That's amazing. And Chance Thomas would do this over and over and over again with different groups of students all over the country at different universities. And the result was always the same. They would describe the music that he had previously recorded before they had ever heard it. How does this work? How is Chance able to replicate this again and again and again with different groups of students? I believe the answer lies in the idea of language. Language is a set of constructs that are mutually understood and they're able to convey meaning and emotion. So in language we use, we use words, whether it's spoken or written or even through gestures to convey mutually understood meaning. And to help languages be more effective, every language has grammar. It has these rules that help to organize it and help, to help it to be more effective and more expressive. The idea that language is made up of constructs that have shared meaning, this idea of shared meaning, I think is really important. And I want to hit it on a little bit more because I think it'll help us understand even deeper why music scoring is a language and how all that works, which is what I'm about to get into. So let's say that I want to take my wife on a date because we both were born in America and we grew up speaking American English. We understand the language and we know how to communicate with it. So now I can say to my wife, hey, do you want to go on a date? And she can say yes, and we can go on a date and have a good time. I can also ask her the same thing, but with different words. I can say, hey, let's leave the kids at home and go out and get some dinner. That also means, hey, let's go on a date. Or I could say, hey, It'd be awesome to spend some time with you. Would you go bowling with me tomorrow? And that's also a way to ask my wife on a date. I could also write her a note. I don't say anything at all. I write the words on a note and ask her to go on a date with me. And she could also respond, respond in kind, writing me a note back. And so because we have this shared understanding of the language, we can easily communicate with each other. And these letters and these words and these sounds and these gestures all have shared meaning between us and between everyone that speaks English. Just like English or German or ancient Babylonian, music scoring is a language. Let's explore this idea further by diving into the history of music and shared meaning. As long as there have been people on the planet, there has been war. And as far back as we can tell, music has always been used in war. It was used to help train troops, to help them to march together, and to act as one body and it was used on the actual battles to help communicate to far away troops or platoons or whatever of different commands and strategies that needed to be used and music was also used to intimidate opposing armies so music has a strong connection with war in fact if we think of like if you think of fifes and snare drums you're probably going to think of American Civil War time or Redcoats invading or something like that. Or 
If you think of snare drums, there's snare drum again, snare drums and bagpipes, you'll probably think of like a Scottish army fighting for their freedom. So there's these strong connections with certain instruments and sounds with this idea of war. So there's this shared meaning going on. There's certain associations with these instruments and these sounds with these ideas, these ideas of war. Another example of shared meaning in music is the early Catholic Church. Music was used in their ceremonies to help portray a sense of the divine. And there was a very specific way to compose this music and to perform this music in order to convey that sense of the divine. And if you grew up in that culture and you heard that music every Sunday or whenever you went, then you would, you would make those associations. But let's say someone was brought back from the Middle East and they were brought to one of these Catholic masses and they heard this music, to them it wouldn't necessarily portray a sense of the divine because they don't have the same, it doesn't share that same meaning. They didn't grow up with it. They weren't immersed in it like these Europeans were. Another example is with European ballet of the 18th and 19th centuries. These ballets are happening and the music is helping to tell the story. It's pointing out certain parts in the plot or it's identifying characters or it's identifying motives. And so we begin to build these associations between this sound and this part of the story or this story arc or this character. Other examples are music piano players playing along with silent films during the silent film era or 1940s radio programs and how the music helped to tell those dramas or 1990s television and underscore happening in television. All of these things have contributed over the ages to this shared meaning that we have with music and helping to establish music scoring as a language. Okay. So let's go back to this workshop that I was in. Stefan Harris just finished saying that he was gonna get over 90% of us to correctly identify these complex chords every single time. And I'm thinking, how in the world is he gonna do this? And then he tells us his story. When Stefan started music school as a freshman, he discovered that the way he thought about music and his background with music was a lot different than everyone else. Most everyone there was classically trained and had been classically trained from the time that they were young. But Stefan learned music in a church setting. It was this very visual and auditory and kinesthetic experience. The preacher would be up and he'd be talking about salvation. And the organ player would play these chords that just gave the sense of salvation. And then the preacher would talk about the devil and how he's trying to trick you and deceive you. And then the organ player would play these chords about the devil trying to deceive you. And he talked about how there was just like these really strong messages linked with these, this really strong music and the music was just so expressive. And that's how he thought about music. And then he also taught us about dance and how strongly dance is linked with music. And just like, as long as there's been music, there's been people dancing and there's this really strong connection. So here's the exercise he gave us. He said, I want you to imagine that you're on stage and the lights are off and you are an improv dancer. And so your job is to just react to the music that will play. And so the orchestra down in the pit, they're going to play a chord. And at the exact same time they play a chord, the lights turn on and you just react and you strike a pose 
for a character. So we all closed our eyes and Stefan got at the piano and what he said to do was as soon as he played a chord, we would keep our eyes closed, but we would all strike a pose. He explained to us not to think too much about it, just let our bodies react because he said that our bodies already had the music built into our biology and our biology would just know how to react to the music. So he said, don't have any like preconceived notions or prohibitions or whatever, just react to it. So we all closed our eyes. Then Stefan played a chord on the piano. It happened to be a dominant seventh chord and we all reacted. And then he had us open our eyes and we were all making similar gestures. He then had us describe what this chord sounded like or what our gestures represented. And we said things like, pride or nobility or regal and so all of us had our chests up and our shoulders up and some of us had our arms above our heads and so the idea of this chord was that it was this kingly type chord like we were a king or a lion when we heard this chord and basically everyone felt that way at least a large majority did so we decided that that would be how this chord felt to us. And we adopted this pose where our chest was out and our fists were in front of us like we were this noble king. And then he played that chord a few times in different keys, a dominant chord. And every time we would make that pose. And then he had us close our eyes and he played another chord from the whiteboard. And then we talked about its meanings and we made an association, an associated gesture to it. And then we'd do the next chord and the next chord. And we did this with every single chord that was on the whiteboard, all of these complex, thick, dense harmony chords. And once we had talked about how each one of these chords sound and how each one of these chords makes us feel after we had just reacted to it and not thought about it we practiced the gesture that went along with the shared understanding and then it was time for the test. So he would play a random chord from the whiteboard. So he'd play a sharp 11 chord or he would play a, a flat nine, flat 13 chord. And then we would all just react to it with our bodies making the, the gesture that went with that chord. And I kid you not, over 90% of the audience would give the correct gesture every single time. So because we linked this music up with our biology and with how it made us feel as an audience of even people who didn't know anything about music, we were able to correctly identify these complex chords every single time. It was incredible. For me, this story and the examples that I've shared in this podcast teach the idea that music is a language, that music scoring is a language, that there's shared understood meaning. And the really exciting thing is that growing up in a media saturated society, one can't help but be completely immersed in the language of music scoring. And basically almost every society today is a media, is a media saturated society. So most all of us grew up hearing music in television, on the radio, in movies, and seeing the strong connection between, between media and score. And so we've been immersed in this language. It's inside of us. We already know the language. And now it just, it may be a matter of learning the tools to help mine this genius and these 
and this gold out of us. But I hope this is an encouraging and an exciting idea to you that you already know the music scoring language. I just want you to know that I believe in you. You're awesome. I believe you have amazing music inside of you that the world needs to hear. So composers, go out and make it happen.